You've never heard of whippets? No, I know, but I mean, you mean dogs, like... But then I thought, oh, it's also a truck. I did poppers with Eric the first time I met him. I had no idea Smiley? What, I, yeah, I had no idea what the hell they were. He said, let's He go. had them? No, he said, let's go get poppers on Broadway. It was his idea. It was his idea, and there was like a deli that was selling poppers. And uh, This is before he was married. This is before he was married. This is when, yeah. Happily. There's still lots of peeing going on. Oh. back to New York. So they miss driving. <laughs> I think people are coming back to New York. Everyone is. They go there. I, I mean, I wish the, they wouldn't. <laughs> you know who I mean. No. The Mirror Queen. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even funny. It is funny. <laughs> Bart Simpson <laughs> Jr. It's such an old, like, reference to his work. It's this way. Don't call it work. Nah. <laughs> I mean, no, I honestly, I think if you respect what someone does, it's work. And if you don't, it's not. You know, it's a world where you have to, and we've had for a long time to accept anything and everything is art. Okay, uh, I will, but I don't, won't be forced or have a gun held in my head to, to respect what people do the mediocrity that people do and call it work. It's not fair. I learned that from Katie Newland, and she knows. But I mean, she considered 99% of what was around her mediocrity. This is a good segue, because like part of why, I mean, when I reached out to Ryan, I had just been reading your book. I'd like taken it in a... Which book? The, uh, the Department of Corrections, the, oh, reason, yeah. the recent essay, which has a Katie Newland essay. There's going to be a new one. Really? Yes, yes. Complaint Department. What? Uh, also from Karma. Also, on just like older, uncollected. Papers. I'm not plugging the book. I'm just trying to force <laughs> them to put it out. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Maybe it'll be in your Christmas stocking. You're haranguing karma to actually get mm -mm. it out. Yeah. No, it's underway. It's just that, like a lot of people who are busy, they, they have many things happening at the same time. So, I don't know. Is it a lot of work putting together like these older, like? No, old because everything's already written. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's good to put collections of writing. But also, a lot of things, people didn't see them. They were online, or they were here, there, wherever they were. And then also a lot of people don't read. Right. You know, or they just scroll through. Uh, so you're not going to look at anything that's longer format. So, um, sorry, the Department of Corrections is... Did you notice how I dumped your segue? Yeah, I'm you're sorry. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this anti-radio. <laughs> Most people can't even spell that word. <laughs> Can you? Department? Segway. De Segway. Oh, yeah. Well, they think it's that machine. Oh, it is that machine. Yeah. The gyroscopic machine. No, you don't like that at all. Um, I inter <laughs> interrupted. Um, Wait, Bob, sorry. I'm going to go back. The Department of Corrections was two writings from 20... 
2007 to 2015? Whatever it says on the cover of the book. So what is the new collection? Uh, it's mostly the vice columns that I wrote. And then when that came to an end, there were a number of things that I wrote that were so much in that spirit of complaining and and uh, skewering and you know pointing out things that were should be deflated and so so it a certain kind of writing which is not like art magazine writing because you know that is all supposed to be like either cheering on or academic but uh, actually anyway so yeah there were pieces that came after that were like in the spirit of the complaint department but it fleshes out a book so it's but I think there's I mean there's 20 plus columns it just I thought it should be a there should be like bonus tracks. Is the vice column the vice column is finished? That's it has been for a while. Although nobody on either side said that's the, you know sometimes you just move on to other things and something something just feels like it ran its course. Yeah. Uh, but also you know they changed editors. Right. Or I should say they dumped an editor. Oh really? Yeah, in favor. Of, I'm not going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but that shifts the like they shifted from writers and writing to TV production and journal. You know, yeah. like that became what was important, and that's where money is and so on. Right. So, in ed editors who care about writing are really, uh, you know, thing of the past. Um, unfortunately. Agreed. No, but I well look. You know, if you're a writer, you act that that kind of hits home. Yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, I interrupted. No, yeah. Well, so I, I mean, I really like that book. The book has a lot of like. Uh, I think it's good. Yeah, it has really good writing, which is such a rare. I feel like. Are like, you just here to hold my hand? Why yeah, aren't you saying yeah. anything? I don't know. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Yeah. No, I, I was thinking the the vice column one will be good because I read a bunch of those when it was when you were sending them out. Yeah. And. Uh, it's nice because I, most of them weren't even about art. It was all different yeah. things that were happening or uh, older things. So it's. Uh... But, you know, also, even though some of them are so specific to an event that occurred or what was happening at the time, now time has passed and you, you read them in kind of this framework of now. And they start to take on other, I'm not saying, oh, I was anyway prescient. It's just that, you know, all sorts of fucked up things tend to repeat and Yeah, no, that's what would be cool and, to reread them. Yeah. It's kind of how columns work, kind of like, right? It's like, I mean, how, how often did it come out when it, when it came out? Well, at first I thought it was going to be regular. Mm -hmm. Like, I could, because I'm a very, I'm a fast writer. And that they would come like weekly or bi-weekly or something. But uh, and the first ones were kind of simple and not too long, but they just began to get longer. They involved research, picture research, oh, you know. Plus, you're doing other things that wasn't you know like a focus exact, or it couldn't be. And so sometimes longer periods would go by. But also, you didn't want. I think that people have weekly columns. They just write about something every week or every two weeks. But there's not always something that you're really up for, you want to engage with. And then sometimes it would just hit you unexpectedly. Like, you know, I read the news every morning. 
uh, online, like at breakfast. And so there'd be something, and I think, oh, I have something to say about that. And that was that was a column that came like in a couple of hours, and that was that was that very uh, Christian couple who wanted to sail with their small oh, yeah. child and their infant from like San Diego to Kiribati, and they reject everything about America and government and control and all. I mean, they're lunatics. They had like this little tiny baby. They were tossed around in the sea. They weren't really. You had to sell that guy's insane. And I thought, I have to write about this. He voted for Trump. Did he really? I'm sure. Like anyway, they say they're going to do it again. The other thing is they were going to a place that's sinking underwater, hourly, <laughs> daily. You know, Kiribati won't even exist in, in a few years. That's, that's, that was their promised land. You know, that was their water, going to be their watery grave. They could have died, and they could have taken those children with them, but it would have been God's will. Have you always been a critic? Did you, do you think you've just been around long enough that you uh, kind of called? I think I've always been fanish, like a real fan of things. And then, uh, I guess, growing up, the people around me were very opinionated and a little bit sardonic and so as always I blame the parents you know uh, I think you know I think that's what it is you know that early influence of parents who had like very hard where'd you go uh, in northern New Jersey just outside of the city half an hour away but my maternal grandparents were from New York their idea, probably around 1900, was to move to the country, which is now what became, oh, it's what became suburbs. But then it was a lot of open land and farmland. And in fact, they did move to what they called the farm. Yeah. Grandparents were not farmers, you know. But it was just like they didn't want to raise, they had four children, they didn't want to raise them in New York City. And so, yeah, I think around 1900, 1905, they moved to northern Jersey to a farm. That's the same with Hannah's grandparents, how they ended up in Cranford. They wanted to get out of the city. They thought it was the country. Yeah. But that would also be the sad story why I don't own a house on, you know, whatever it would be, like West 95th Street or something. Yeah. Was that a decision, at some, like an inflection point, or where you were like, at some point, might have been able to purchase something or decided not to? No, no. Whatever my grandparents' house, they gave up in the city to go and live on some farm with, I don't know, on a barn or something. Some foreign farm. Jersey farm. Yeah. Jersey cows. Wait, so when did you guys first meet? Let's hear Because there's an essay about Ryan in that book, like, um, which is part of why. When did we meet? At White, White Columns, uh, which is also how we met. Is that really so? I think so, yeah. I White Columns is... Interned there... Uh, briefly and then worked there doing the bar mm -hmm. and the front desk and Bob had a show of your collection I think it was mm -hmm. uh, part of my collection part of it yeah which Wait, I don't know would have been like 2007 mm -hmm. maybe okay. we met there and I remember you were living in Hell's Kitchen. I was in living in Hell's apartment. Kitchen. That's when I first saw your photographs. Yeah. I remember the early work. Bartending, and Bob was very insistent to tip. Even, <laughs> even though it was his <laughs> show there, but it was very nice that he 
kept tipping. I think I don't know if you were drinking then or you're just having water then, but I remember I was like, "This is ridiculous." You were like, kept trying to give a dollar for nothing, which is very nice. That's, That's probably then I must have. Still I was like, drinking. most. <laughs> Everyone else at that point was was not giving anything. So I was like, oh. what the hell? This guy's a show and is giving us money. Those, nice. Yeah, those white con interns, we relied on those tips, man. Those I know. I home. mean, I loved it. I was like, holy shit, I made $50 tonight. There Actually, there are a lot of places you go now in the city and uh, you look around and there's no tip jar. There's certain businesses that do not allow their employees. So I just give them the money. I just give them the money. Like, where's your tip jar? We're not allowed to have one. It's it's and it started a couple of years ago, and so it's sort of like pre-Trumpism, you know. The rich hold on to their money. Yeah. And, you know, workers are in the uh, the ISL program, like indenture. You know, so many Americans who actually voted for these people, they they don't even realize they're part of this like indentured slaves for life. Right. Yeah. Swing way out of the system. Why is that popular? Like, why did the, why was why did people rally around that? Like, we'll just we'll just stay down here in our in our trailer that's going to get blown away in the next hurricane. Make you know, what's my new line? Rape America great again. <laughs> yeah. Bumper sticker. No, you have to be careful. You do that, and someone will slash all your tires. Yeah, language is powerful. What was your first impression of Ryan? Language is powerful. I wrote a poem. <laughs> what was my first impression? Yeah. He's a, you know, he's a confusing he's, guy. He's what? He's a confusing guy. I don't really? think so. I think so. I know that. <laughs> that's one of my favorite Why? Wow, what was your impression? Uh, I feel like you were deep in like Neil Hamburger land, like when uh, at first, like when doing like lots of deadpan jokes that you couldn't tell whether they were like whether he's joking or not even you know yeah I think that was part of going crazy of painting the ceilings of I mean, 303 miserable summer. <laughs> whatever it was $10 an I, hour it's yeah and had to say something fucked up to each other to try and make it worthwhile exactly it's surprising even to me because I'm never ever looking to make any kind of new friend or connection or anything. So then, when you do meet someone and you start interacting with them, you know, you realize that there's like a larger, bigger force than you or that part of your brain that thinks it's in charge. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, just like knowing new people and socializing with them and being friends with them and needing them and them needing you, it's very, uh, it's, it's a exhausting. nuisance. It's a nuisance, you know. <laughs> but also, you know, I'm much older than Ryan, so I have like this whole accumulation of people over a long period of time. Even with all the what do you call that? Like thinning the herd, like even getting rid of people, which I try to do regularly. Uh, it's still a lot of people, you know. Um, it's too many. You have to be too much. But it's interesting though. Like, I mean, you used the word fan earlier. Like, and oh yeah. Which I feel like is I mean I don't know the kind of spaces that seems like you both circulate the like book kind of world and publishing world seems like an interesting sort of connection or something hmm well I guess probably just like having other interests or being interested in some of these same things or in music or uh, oh I know why we're friends because if I say something like oh let's do this you'll go oh okay you know like you're kind of in agreement with 
things I want to do. So that's like that's like well, money in the usually bank. it's fucked up then. So <laughs> I know and there's even a price to pay because like one of the maybe it's the first thing we did, which is I completely defaced a Phillips auction catalog. A few of them actually, but mainly one which had a lot of people that there were works being for sale that artists that Ryan knew. But I was just relentless because no, but I thought it had to be across the board. So whether I liked the artwork or not, I was defacing mm -hmm. everything in there. Because it wasn't against the artist, it was against that system of yeah. buying something and then throwing it out on the market. You know, like basically just throwing people under the bus, right? So but he got a little that came out uh, that was called flips you know I, I got rid of some of the vowels and Phillips so it just became flips and uh, forget what was on the cover oh yeah it was a pig mask a Paul McCarthy piece because I was saying the people who pretend to be collectors because if you collect you collect and you keep and you have a responsibility right but people who would buy something and sell it and flip it are just they're just pigs, right? Yeah. So, so that was when on the cover. It just was lucky that with someone else's painting, it was combined with, right? No, it was real. Well, whatever it was yeah. behind it, I don't care. But um, uh, I think that um, you took a little bit of shit from some people who found themselves in it. <laughs> yeah, but it's even those people that were upset about that, like I think, I mean, you. I like that book because then it is like kind of if you're in it it's upsetting but that entire situation must have been incredibly frustrating and upsetting for those artists when those catalogs I wasn't originally selling existed. their work after buying it for nothing and then trying to just make money off their backs no I mean if anything I was know. saying to people that I was like this is not it's not an insult to you personally it's like this whole thing is fucked up if anything it's in your defense it's that it's this system is messed yeah. up it's like I mean, there were it's, probably it's taking people... the piss out of it and whether you liked them or not in it but I think that yeah it was like crazy that one I mean that was like three years ago that you did that book and some of those paintings were from that same year in those auction things were at crazy prices and now we're probably back to the and original prices probably... that they were and you're like this is totally absurd it's funny and it's like it was a good it was a good piece it was a good way instead of I mean even you're saying before but people aren't about writing and it's like I mean I like reading your writing I like reading but I also think that there's other ways I like seeing criticism or things that are interesting exactly like, some people said oh a good that's, way that's, to make that's one of the biggest insults that's where I really need a can of mace some people say oh now you're an artist and I said no it's this is criticism it's taking a visual form you know it's visual criticism yeah which I mean Maybe it was it was better in that way instead of there was it's like better. there was Imagine people that writing was so much shit be, about that. Get past just page like, three. Yeah. Even if you made it entertaining and stuff, you know. No, but that even that book it had. I mean, a lot of stuff that was getting. You must have been the most upset the artists who weren't in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but we're yeah. in the Phillips catalog. No, no, no. I mean, the only thing worse than being flipped is not wanting to be flipped over at all. Not being flipped again. Yeah. <laughs> I can flip over. Backflips. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's when you guys really cemented your... your we have two, uh, two yeah. scenes coming out for the new uh, art book fair next week. Really? Yeah. Yes. Uh, two more on no. the press. Yeah. No, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm the publishing, though. Okay. He's my publisher. So 
Uh, one is, uh, you know, um, Learning from Las Vegas? Well, one of them is called Learning from Mar-a-Lago, which, you know, I think to everyone's dismay was not completely annihilated by the hurricane. You know, it went, it went northwest instead of going straight up from Miami. But, you know, imagine Mar-a-Lago was completely blown apart in the hurricane, and then people would have said, there is a god. Uh, we would have had to add on to the book. I don't know. Um, so it will be in the book. You'll have to see. Have to see. I mean, it's, you know, uh, it's in two parts. And the first part is Mar-a-Lago, kind of from its beginnings, its history into, and then into present. But then the second part, it just segues uh, unexpectedly into Charlottesville. So in a way, it's saying, you know, part one is saying, this is what he aspired to. This is how he wanted to be seen. This is, this represents him. But at the same time, someone could say, well, how do they go together? And you could say, well, but Charlottesville represents him too, just not in a way he would want. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, you don't have to spend four years in college to see how they're related, you know. Um, or go to the, you know, Whitney Independent Study Program. Uh, <laughs> And then the other one is, uh, just for fun, it's called The Camera Believes Everything, with a question mark, because there's a book from the late 80s called The Camera Believes Everything, period. These are both, you're published both of these? Yeah. Are you going to work the fair? I think I'll sit at the table so we can go walk around, uh, also so I can see who's actually buying them, because that interests me. There's not a lot of copies, uh, and maybe if I don't like the person, they won't be able to buy it. First edition. Yeah, there's 50, and then there'll be another 50. You love working these things. I do. I mean, I've had, yeah, they're fun. I, I mean. Last time I saw you, I ended up the book. Not last, but last time I yeah, at least had a I mean, merry time. It's a really fun way to mess with people at them. And uh, I mean, I like having the books. Uh, <laughs> he sometimes makes the most money from just like, Garbage that he picks up in his backyard. I, yeah, I mean, I, that's what. Oh, that'll be fifty dollars. It's like another kind of. Alchemy. I mean, I sold David a necklace yeah. made of pennies and duct tape. I don't know for how much. I actually like that you do. Piece. Yeah, it's, over, it's right over there it's on the wall. It's, it's not in the safe. No, it's uh, you know. Um, I like doing that, but I mean, I, I obviously really like books, and I like seeing all the stuff there. It gets a bit overwhelming, but it's uh. It's fun to have all that and then also it's just also be able to mess it's with. It's become a bit predictable. You know, if you go into where they have the rare out-of-print things, so many people have all the same stuff, fair after fair. And also, yeah. the thing that's come up recently in the like rare out-of-print book world, it's like now people are trying to make every little you know, like punk flyer into that's all of a sudden it's like $600 or $800. It's, it's not a very punk thing, is it, in the end? Uh, yeah, I love how last year uh, uh, research was there mm -hmm. for the first time. I think of the New York one who did Search and Destroy, mm -hmm. and he had still original copies of Search and Destroy that he published in the seventies. And then inside, there was people with them in the vitrines, and they were going for a couple hundred dollars an issue, all messed up. Mm -hmm. But he was selling them, I think, twenty or twenty-five dollars a copy. But they're the original ones that you know, been sitting in the basement. No, but he shouldn't do that. You know, if if 
if they're two hundred dollars over there, he should sell them for a hundred. It's already a half price sell, and he's going to make. He probably needs the money more than they do. Oh, for I mean, sure. That's, that's what I do. I mean, do you know that I have now for a year a little book and record shop in Chinatown? I. I've heard this, yeah. I haven't seen you over there That's true. pulling out your ooing and awning over the playing with your wallets and shoplifting. But um, you know, this. my I I've collected books and catalogs for a long time and records and I know what things are worth and you can look things prices up and so on. And also I go around to all the stores. I go to Mass, I used to see things at Karma when they had but uh, they're gonna have a store again. But you know, if I see something and it's a hundred dollars, and I have it, and I or I have, maybe I have two copies. Right? Mm -hmm. I'll put it in the shop, and it won't be a hundred dollars. It'll be like seventy-five or so. You know, I think it's still a lot of money, but it's not at that level you where mark people. It down slightly. Yeah, it's totally. It has to be that way, and uh, you know, now I'm even thinking of putting certain things in that are really worth a lot of money, and I'm just like, well, I have to bring the price down, but then. I still don't have like a locked case to put them in. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Will they just be sitting, you know, but a $150 book could be sitting on the shelf next to a $10 book. There's no, you know, um, there are no hierarchies. You'll come across something just unexpectedly. Do you like knowing the price of like how to sell? I don't know, that's the thing I always marvel at it. Like, in a bookstore, like but the price isn't always the price. Right. That's in other words, you can go to a site and you can see something. And let's, I tend to go back and look again. Oh, is that still there? Or I'm, I'm, I'm interested again. And it's six months later. Mm -hmm. That's the asking price. And what you'll see, I see this a lot with records. You'll see somebody wanting like hundreds of dollars for a record. It's been there waiting for someone to buy it at that price for years. You know, I think things should be priced so that. They can be sold, yeah. not that they just sit there. Uh, and then also, then if you have a shop and they're in behind the glass case, it's not a museum. Yeah. You know. And also, the idea is that things should keep circulating. You know, mm -hmm. is it a commodity or is it information? Of course, information is a commodity. All that. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense to just sit there. It's meant to circulate. You know, all you know, printed matter, all sorts. That's what I was just thinking about, actually, both of your practices, that you have sort of an egalitarian connection to objects where it's like it's the opposite of flipping, right? It's like it's it has value for both of you because you've held on to something, or, or it has no value for you because you made it out of pennies and duct tape, and it's that same sort of like leveling as opposed well, you know, to you, preciousness. You get to a point and you think, okay, I have all this great stuff, but I'm not going to live forever and keep enjoying it. Yeah. And you're not going to take it with you. So then you look around and it's just piled up all around you. And then I think you have ha half a brain. You understand that what's fun is to go out and look for things. And it's really fun and satisfying to find these things. But there's almost no fun or satisfaction to just have them. Yeah. That in, in the whole scheme of it, that's the least, the least of it. There's no fun in just having it. Totally. It's finding it. Yeah. Even I was going through all the zines that I have over the years of people's stuff, and I'm like, I don't even ever look at this anymore, but I have boxes of it, mm. and you don't even... It's just too much to go through, but it's, it was so good to get it originally and have it, and then what the hell do you do with it now? It's like, would be nice to have it. 
as a library or in something that people could look at because then it's just going to sit in boxes at your house. But yeah I mean it's probably not that interesting but it's funny when you just have it and you're like well what do I do with this shit now it's just sitting there but I mean definitely why I like printing books or, or making zines so much is that I like that it's you can distribute it you have so much out there it's a good way to yeah where do you print, print stuff like for this project of Bob, like, how are you? We're just photocopying it because it's going to be smaller editions. Um, Ryan's done a lot of stuff at Linko. Yeah, I did yes. like all the newsprint stuff or the or the books like are done at Linko and Queens, which, is, yeah, I think now is the go-to art publishing. The secrets out. The secrets. It out. has been for a while. I mean, it's funny. I was talking I think, yeah. to someone who had printed there a long time ago, and he was actually very upset about it that people are. Yeah. that people are using it and uh, I mean it's like funny because it's it's like the printing place in New York or whatever it just happened that then you know kind of got the with the book fair and I don't know maybe everything being online that then print stuff started to come back and there's more and more of it that of course Linko or these printing places are going to take off but it's funny when people get on the defense about that place there's a few different people who well, what do they want for them to go out of business? You know, it's like. No, I mean, I guess that people just feel <laughs> I'm sure like it's like a labor of love. On the, yeah, they're, they're just like I use that place, it. and then you know, like you when you go there, it's amazing because they have copies of everything, so you see everyone who's shit is there, and you're like, oh, can I take this? Can I take? It? Yeah, take mm-hmm. a copy, so you can get a lot of free books from them. But, uh, they don't like raise their prices, have they? I mean, I've been printing there for 10 years, so it's like, yeah, it's raised, but it's still pretty cheap, but... Still mad good. Yeah, they're they're great. Yeah. Um, you have a scene at the fair from Croatia. Yeah, it's just going to be more like, there's going to be just a few copies of it. It's uh, Hannah and I are doing it with our friends Tarwick, who are the four of us. There are a couple, Bruno and Ivana. Uh, who work under the name Tarwick and the four of us went to Croatia and this summer and we did an exhibition there making everything uh, from stuff that we found and I met them originally through publishing zines and books so then you know we're always like oh we should make something together and it never really happened and then we got offered to the show so now we're gonna make a book all together um, yeah, so it'll be at the book fair. It'll be it'll be like more like the unique ones I did on the photocopier. It's just too hard to make a, a, a solid edition of it, but it'll be a mix of all of our stuff. And yeah, that's a cool project that they do, don't they? They work with the Croatian like out, arts co- council to. Yeah, there's a they, we got like a few grants from one from like. Uh, I'm not sure if it's an art council there or just like the city there, but there is really good funding for, we got like supported to go there and do it. And I actually got my first Canada council grant. Really? <laughs> to go Canada there. gives a lot of money to artists, they do, arts but groups. I, and, I've applied many and, times. This is the first time I got one for to go to Canada Croatia. Canada gives so. money to curators. Really? Yeah. There's no money in this country for anybody, for art, for anything. I have a question for you. Yeah, both of you. Under which president was the funding for the NEA 
the highest. Wait, if you know, you can't answer. Okay, then. then but do you really do know? I don't know. I would guess Nixon. I was going to say Nixon, too. You're both right. Yeah. You're both right. And but do you know why? Oh, shoot. I no, it's so obvious. You could even guess. So many people were against Nixon that the reasoning was if we throw all this money at artists, they won't do all this angry, critical art about us. They'll be happy. They'll be placated. They just looked at artists like children. And they said, well, just give them all this candy. We'll give them all this money. And you know what? It worked. I knew that it was It worked. It was, it was Crazy. entwined with the Vietnam War. It was like a pure... It was just keep them pacified. Keep them happy. How much money was that, though, do we think? Like, what, um... in, I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, then you go. And then in today's dollars, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It was the most ever given under any administration. It was a serious budget back then. Yeah. But now it's like less than nothing. I mean... Well, now people don't think anything is really needed. Like, oh, we don't need anything for the environment. We don't need anything for art. We don't need anything for education. We don't. We just need it for you know the military, right? We just need it f for ourselves. How do we enrich ourselves? It's like we have our first family-run banana republic right here in the United States. It just let's enrich ourselves. Our very own, you know. Did you notice the segue is now to the political? I noticed, yeah. I, I, was say, I wondered what's on, on these. Um, uh, I wrote a poem. You know, the opening uh, music, which we didn't hear, but I guess people, people will hear, hear if they listen to it, is uh, in some ways in honor of uh, Brian, a Canadian band. Not to be confused with the other subhumans, but the Canadian the subhumans. subhumans. Yeah, and a song from 1979 called Fuck You. Do you know that song? <laughs> I listened to it. <laughs> right, so, you know, it's a great song. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to, either, I mean, you know, the list of who we could dedicate that to today, it's as long as, right. But somehow I had in mind specifically um, Ann Coulter, uh, the, the cuntish Ann Coulter, as she's known, right? And then, so, there was that song from the Subhumans, and then Ryan, you wrote back an email, and you said that she is the sub What did you say? She's, she's like the subhuman of our generation. Exactly. <laughs> Which made me think, because that's another thing. We, I guess that's part of the connective tissue of friendship, which is just like going with it, right? You know, uh, whatever comes to mind makes sense. So that made me think of the song Subhuman mm -hmm. by Throbbing Gristle big Throbbing Gristle fan, although that's in the past. Um, you know that song? I do not know that song, yeah. Well... I've been lectured recently about how I need to know more about Throbbing Gristle. By who? Uh. <laughs> I wonder if she's read the Cozy Fawny Tootie book. Mm. That's a great book. What is that book? just came out. It's Yeah, it's out very recently. It's really good, and uh, boy, she really tells the whole true story of all of that. Because, you know, there's another person involved there who's tried to control the whole story forever, and apparently it's not quite, uh, I don't think he likes the book. Anyway, so Subhuman by Throbbing Gristle, uh, it's funny how you can find the lyrics to any song on, on, uh, online. Like, wonderful. And, and then it all has cheery names like, whatever, you know, like Lyrical Parade, and you could, you know, <laughs> just Google a song like, 
you know, you must die, pig fucker. Lyrical parade has the lyrics to you must die, pig fucker. And explanation, yeah. Like. Anyway, so I found lyrics, and then I reread it. Because uh, in the song, sub, there's a lot of repetition, subhuman, subhuman. Okay. So here it goes. Um, uh, so we dedicate the subhumans, fuck you, to the Kuntish and Coulter. And I wrote this poem adapted from the Throbbing Gristle song, uh, Subhuman. Subhuman and Coulter, I see you grunting. I see you grunting. In the gutter, in the gutter, subhuman and Coulter. You're like a virus in my body and Coulter. Drinking dirty water in the gutter to make you clean. Subhuman and Coulter, you make me dizzy with your disease. I want to smash you. I want to smash you. Feel more at ease. Subhuman and Coulter, I hear you grunting. I hear you grunting. You're like a virus, a stinking virus in the gutter. And Coulter, and Coulter, subhuman. <laughs> Listen, I don't think she should get a pass. That's that's a criminal uh, statement she made. She's inciting and inviting violence. It doesn't matter if he's the fake president. He's still the president, right? And she said, stick a fork in Trump. He's dead. She's not talking about the, the turkey in the oven at Thanksgiving. It's more violent. Anyway, that's why I was thinking about her. But my other question, or my other dedication for... Uh, so we really should have had the for thing cast. Yeah. The other dedication for uh, subhumans and song "fuck you" goes to again. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but you know the director of the CIA, Mike Pompeo. Oh yeah. Now my question is, why is the CIA involved in the curriculum of Harvard? Right, because of um, wait, unpack for you know people who may not know exactly the story. Chelsea Manning. Yeah. Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning was going to be a fellow at Harvard. No, she, no more. No more. She was going Can to Can still be invited to come there and speak, yeah. but it's not a fellow. But anyway, what, what were they going to like line the, the, the glee club up at the gates of Harvard at, as she walked through singing for she's a jolly good fellow, which nobody can deny? You know, um... Mike Pompeo, first of all, someone say, why did they invite her? And why is she a Why did they invite the director of the CIA? Yeah. Didn't they invite Sean Spicer too recently? 
Should have instant pot. I think I think Sean Spice Girl's okay, actually. <laughs> I think she got a raw deal. This is your first contrarian opinion. She <laughs> always had her knickers in a twist, and I respect that. <laughs> um, but Mike Pompeo, besides being among many in the administration who has no real qualifications for the job, you know, think about all of the things he's against, right? Because people don't even, I don't, do people even remember being, you know, in like in the Congress, being from Kansas and all that? I made a little list. Uh, number one, took $80,000 from Coke Industries, right? Compared Yeah. And I would think $80,000 for people who, what are they each worth? Probably, oh, millions. Uh, uh, you said millions? You're yeah. insane. They're probably both worth $50 billion. Oh, oh yeah, both of them. Yeah. I mean, the only good news is they're 77 and 81 years old. They won't be that long for this earth. But I think that all their kids and all that, they're probably all indoctrinated and they'll just carry all, carry all, all, all those hijinks carry that on after them. But uh, $80,000 to those people is, is chicken feed. That, so Mikey, Pompeo was sold himself out for eighty thousand dollars. I wouldn't have accepted eighty thousand dollars. I mean, you think he's cheap? You're calling him cheap. Back then, yeah, you know, but but you know, nobody escapes their roots, right? And he opposed wind power, opposed the regulating of greenhouse gas admission uh, emissions. Uh, as a climate denier. So that's what $80,000 bought, right? Like and value. and what does Harvard think about? Like, let's invite climate deniers, you know, who are running the, uh, you know, in charge of all the spooks. Um, you know, he supported the federal government shutdown during Obama. Pompeo. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he said, oh, this will look bad for Republicans, but I support, you know, um, he believes that there should be absolute, unlimited, sweeping data collection of Americans to keep America safe. I don't know. I mean, people like that are not about keeping America safe. They're, they're like the, the biggest threat to this country. Like almost every person in every major position yeah. should be, you know, I mean, they should, they should all be locked up. Yeah. They're as, dangerous. As a Canadian. They're, you know what? Yeah. They're dangerous I mean, and inept. <laughs> and inept. And one of the problems of the danger is their ineptitude. Right? Yeah. So Ann Coulter and Mike Pompeo. Fuck you. We dedicate list. that song to them. We could, you know, dedicate it to all of them. Yeah. I did like that other tweet that uh, Ann Coulter, when she just says uh, she makes fun of Trump every day about the wall yeah amount of wall built zero yeah right. well, we'll, we'll check in tomorrow is that wall. a daily tweet i've yeah. seen it a few times that she does it and she's she's yeah. pissed there's no wall she's pissed there's no wall but i mean i i do like that she fucks with him over that i think that's I mean, funny you get the sense but, that maybe she doesn't care about any of it really like yeah. it's just the Ann Coulter show yeah which is you know what's that line from what is that that was that was uh that was george bush Junior's favorite movie, Field of Dreams. Really? Yes. Oh, it's a good movie. 
He's so sensitive. Well, that was his favorite movie. And the tagline for that movie is, if you build it, they will come. Right. And that's what I say about the wall. What do you think about his paintings? They'll still come. His paintings? Yeah. Well, you obviously didn't read my, my essay about his paintings. No. <laughs> it's going to be in the complaint department book. Okay. Get the segue back to the What part. did it begin with? Something about, oh, it's called, even the president of the United States must sometime have to paint naked. Remember the painting of him in the shower? I'll never forget There are it. people that think that the that shower painting was his way of, because he can't actually articulate it, can't say it, his, you know, he was kind of sorry about like waterboarding or something. Yeah. What? That's an interpretation of that painting? That's Well, that wouldn't bananas. be an interpretation of the, the, the dog paintings that he made. No, but those are... <laughs> <laughs> you know? I had never heard that uh, that theory. People see guilt in this. That was the title. Sorry like, for what they see, like... They want to read it and take yeah. I don't want to read anything into any artwork. Yeah. You know, but... But sometimes you have to and... You'd be flying in a plane <laughs> and you'd look out and you'd say, look at that, look at that, what? Someone says, look that, it looks just like a cloud. So you're against psychologizing. Against interpretation. Against interpretation. Mm -hmm. It'd be a good title for a book. Next it is the title of a book. No, I know. <laughs> Not by our our brightest intellectual of all time. Not by either. Coulter. Not by Coulter. You don't know who wrote that book? Sondheim? Yeah. Yeah. Not the not the brightest crayon in the Coulter wrote a book of for interpretation, I think. <laughs> she wrote a book? <laughs> no, did she? She wrote several, she, she, yeah. She wrote a bunch of books. She wrote a great You can't get on Bill Maher if you haven't written the book. What is if you build it, they will come. Wait, but you can get on Bill Maher if you've never read a book. Yes. But if you've yeah. written one, you have to or is someone's ghost written one for exactly. you? Um, I think that's how the booking department works. It very much is. You should be a Bill Maher. <laughs> I'm not a Bill Maher fan. I mean, he's kind of terrible, but it seems like the round, the like celebrity roundtables are always funny. You know, you should run for. You know what just came out recently that I recommend? It's a book of of. Uh, very recent, up-to-date, in-depth, in, well, not in-depth, some of them are short, interviews with Noam Chomsky. Ah. Um, you know, Ann Coulter's a big Noam Chomsky fan. <laughs> no, because if he didn't exist, what would she, you know? She doesn't think So, really but I, you know, you read those interviews and you think, oh, he should, he should be president, right? Totally. Ann Coulter right now spinning in her grave. Uh, But it's the worst job in the country. There's no worse job in the country. To be president? Yeah. So he wouldn't want it. But there's just not, I mean, the people can talk about his politics, but the perception of that, you know, that mind, and then compare it to someone like, I don't know, a talk show host or a, you know, the Kentish Ann Coulter, so they couldn't, there's no comparison. Wow, There's she writes no... a book a year, Ann Coulter. She's written like I, you know, books. I disagree. I disagree. Um, nobody should write a book a year anyway. Uh, no one has that much to say. But she wrote if you think about her and you think Trump about people like her, they actually haven't done anything. You know, they've used. I mean, basically. They're sociopaths, and sociopaths are are great opportunists, right? 
And of course, the only difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, sociopaths don't actually kill people. But sociopaths kill people in other ways, and they kill their spirit and so on. In fact, sociopaths are basically mass murderers, you know. Um, and she is, but uh, she doesn't really do anything. You know, there are lots of people out there who actually do things like, I don't know, think of something valiant like first responders who've had all these natural disasters, doctors, nurses, people doing medical research, people doing research into the climate, we've only got one planet, all these things, people doing really valuable work, people do, but even the people who deliver food or pick up the garbage or whatever they do, build a car, all sorts of things, they really contribute. You know, I don't even consider myself in that category, but I'm not as bad as an Ann Coulter who's a sociopath opportunist who doesn't actually do anything and has a voice and makes money and puts out a book a year. You know, I mean, these they're charlatans. They're charlatans, you know, and lots of people will go into politics and say, oh, it's we want to help things and we they all make the money after they all make huge amounts of money after and now the only difference is they found ways to make it while they're politic you know because they own golf courses and resorts and hotels and they you know build the government for uh you know tens of thousands of dollars so that a secret service person can scoot around on a golf course in a golf cart right and nothing is offered for free you know if he really is a billionaire, why, does, why doesn't he just charge nothing to the government for any of this, you know? All the Secret Service agents who have to go around, traipse around after uh, all those people doing business. They're not going out to, like, government conferences. They're going in, you know, wherever they're going to, a, a, a golf course in Scotland, and then we pay yeah. for that. Yeah. You know, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars every time they just step on a plane. And then the plane, what does the plane cost to operate per yeah. hour? I saw he charges like for Mar-a-Lago. They're thieves. He charges like $520 like to government officials who come just to visit him. Like, which is mm. like, it's just outrageous. I mean, but you could argue, I'm just thinking, I mean, Ann Coulter does more than Kim Kardashian by the by that rubric, right? Because she's I don't even know who specific. that is. I don't know who that is. She's another person who doesn't really do anything. No, I really her. don't know who that person is. I mean, I've heard the name, but I do not know who that person is. You've never seen the tape? Which tape? Her sex tape. She did no. that. Well, no. she puts out a sex tape a year. <laughs> Every 10 years. Every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes. Insatiable.
What's the next beautiful subject? Well, I was curious how we write, but I also want to talk about because since we Ryan is our first return guest, uh, and since we did the last one, um, I feel like I've been put on like a strange mailing list um, where Ryan sends the strangest images at all times of of day to me and who like a crew of. Uh, like other people, which always seems. Why don't you just I'm do what I did? Unsubscribe. No, I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I'm very curious yeah. about it, and we never talked about it, and I was like, let's. I don't even remember what the hell I sent you, but, but it's I think like your email know. must come up as one of the top things. <laughs> that then wouldn't it go be like a, 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 you know, like a bird skeleton nailed to a dead rat or something? No, that's too obvious. I don't know. It's probably. Something, but uh, I don't know. I guess I like uh, I got um, a phone plan that has unlimited data now, so you can send out more shit. Mm. Yeah, and uh, fascinating. Didn't you send like a hot dog wrapped in a hot dog? Probably, yeah. To who? Who's the last one I got? Well, I'm and not. On, I'm, really I, I'm not on uh, Instagram anymore. So then, I and I enjoy more. And just selecting people's emails and seeing the first 10 emails that come up and combine them together and if they know each other or don't and then see who gets frustrated about who's getting emailed on this chain email and who is sending shit back or what confusion happens but I don't think even people are that confused because I saw people last night and they said I love those fucked up emails sending me <laughs> You're sending the picture out or forwarding something, so it's you can like make a whole book of them. Yeah, I don't keep track of them though, so I don't, and I don't know what if someone's talking about what's what. But uh, I like sending those videos out a lot that your phone makes. Yeah, um, you feel so. It feels so intimate. It feels like you you're so honored when you get one. Yeah, I've only gotten two ever. <laughs> I guess we don't email enough that you're, it doesn't come up when I, I type in. And, but, uh, I'll try I get a ton in there. Super weird. And I also got the radio um, show that you do with Kai today. Yeah. I think I'm going to put some in into this podcast. No. Cool. No? Just a bit. Keep this as this radio show. <laughs> Keep this as a thing. Yeah, I wanted to send it to you because it got taken down. Oh, really? I don't know. I didn't send any to you when, they were, when we were doing them. I don't think so, no. Yeah, that only went out to a few people. But they were up on SoundCloud, and then it got, I think, flagged for a copyright or something. Oh, so. really? Is this the part that later you'll edit out? Yeah, this part. Yeah, exactly. The part where you're not talking. We'll, we'll take that out. I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> or talking. <laughs> Back to Ann Coulter. Exactly. Wait, I want to talk about, so you don't have a laptop. Well, so when you write, like how? Oh, I have a computer at home. Yeah. And I travel a lot, and when I travel, I have a notebook and pen. I was writing on the subway coming out here. Uh, That's how you, when you wrote the poem? No, that was at home this morning. Um, Do you edit yourself as you go when you're writing yeah, the poem? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think what I try to send in is uh, really clean copy because I don't like to be edited. Lately, what I found is that people say, oh, no, 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 don't worry, don't worry. And then, you know, you get get the, the essay back, and they've just rewritten, rewritten the whole thing. Really? And cut parts out, and move parts, you know, and it's just like, 
I and it's not, just don't tolerate that. So then I just write back to them and I just say, well, don't print it. You know, I don't care. And it's like, it's something new. I think, you know what I think? There are a lot of people who, I know, it's shocking. There are a lot of people who write for, and some people who are known, books and catalogs, things like that. They're too busy. They're like jet setting around. And it's always somebody else writing for them. Like yeah. their name gets put on. But I think that editors, uh, especially in museums, they're really used to being these pieces turned in that are half baked. And so they think they're doing a good thing by rewriting it and putting it on another form and all that. And, uh, you know, they're just scoundrels. They're all these people who really have like assistants doing their research for them and doing the initial writing for them. And then their name gets, I'm not going to say who any of them are, yeah. but, you know, and then their name gets put on it. But I've actually had people say, oh, we're sorry, but we're really used to rewriting the essays. And it's not just that it has to be in a certain format, but, uh, and I do think, you know, a good editor makes a piece better. But all this monkeying around that goes on now is not uh, an improvement. Um, who reads that shit anyways? You do. I don't. So you don't read my essay? No, I read yours. I mean, I read it. You're but saying most of that stuff. Most of the stuff is like, how the fuck can you... We're just mm. waiting for it to go to video. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait for the video to come out of this essay. But, the know. video? Yeah. What video? You don't make videos of yours? You gotta shift to video. Everyone's, everyone's I'm gonna shift to nanny cam. <laughs> Spying myself. Pure nanny cam. Yeah, but I like, I mean, I admire the... I mean, that was why I think I was interested in you it was like the prose in that book which I just happened to kind of grab was so uh, yeah it was super clear it like felt pretty uh, I don't know yes yeah, so I was curious like the way if someone if someone reads something you wrote and they have to read it a second and a third time to figure out what you're saying that's, that's a big problem for everybody yeah uh, I remember years ago there's a guitar player named Henry Kaiser he's still around he's still really great but he did something funny. Very few guitar players do this. He put out an instruction video. And in it, he said, uh, if your grandmother is at home and the radio is on and a song comes on, she ought to be able to hear that that's you playing. In other words, you should have a distinctive style that people can, can identify. And there are times, I think, you know, you'll write something and people can hear your voice, right? And then I think even sometimes people look at an announcement or whatever for a, a show and they'll somehow just see your fingerprints are there, right? And that I think is really important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like a good editor has to know how to keep, how to respect that, how not to kind of flatten it. Yeah. There was the other thing, you know, was with uh, the vice columns, things would get changed so that they would be grammatically correct. And I would just say, no, 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 I know it's not grammatically correct, but I want it to sound that way. Yeah. When you read it, you hear it a certain way, so it doesn't matter if the grammar is wrong. And I would always say the same thing, don't turn me into an English major. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like being part of the vice 
empire. I mean, I feel like I that's wasn't. interesting. I mean, they're just like in that moment, like where are they? I mean, such an but you know company. that that it's gone through so many different things. You know, there's a period I would say would be mid '90s when they were really demonized. But that's it was a very different thing at that time, and people thought, oh, they're really homophobic and they're really wh wh who's the guy they got rid of? Who's one? Gavin. Yeah, like he was apparently a real. Now he's leader. come out as a super right wing. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. We also we also dedicate. Fuck you by the subhumans to Gavin. What's his last name? McGinnis. Gavin McGinnis. I hope he and the Kuntish and the Kuntish Gavin McGinnis and the Kuntish <laughs> Ann Coulter will be very happy together. And that cult leader, Jeff Sesh, can officiate. <laughs> yeah. And then they can have little deformed monster children that we can deport. <laughs> I like that you stuck up for Sean Spicer, though. <laughs> I don't know that I really did. You did. <laughs> Sean Spicer. So much to me, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you she. did get a bummer. She. Though. Why do you gender him? Why do you Why do you make him a different gender? Uh, I think it's basically uh, a very typical flipping around. In other words, when you look at uh, for example, uh, you know, really kind of hateful people, vile pe people, mostly men, uh, straight men, straight white men, homophobes, all that, you know, they must always be subjected to some sort of ridicule of faggotry. That's, that's it. You know, and some of them really are closet cases. Uh, they deserve it. I don't know. Someone could say whatever torment you might have suffered on the playground in grade school over five minutes sustains you your entire life. That wasn't a, any sort of confession. <laughs> um, but I used to think about that too with like, you know, everybody remembers uh, well before things were over, you know, George Bush walking out in the flight suit, the pilot's flight suit on the yeah. deck of an aircraft carrier, mission accomplished. It's still going on. Yeah. How many years ago was that, right? Yeah. How many people have died? How many, much money spent? But it was mission accomplished 20 years ago, right? And remember that thing he was wearing? It was like all pulled up around his crotch. It made him look like he had some kind of giant package. <laughs> remember that? Yeah. Top Gun, you know? So for me, you know, people who, let's say, are, I think, have a kind of fragile masculinity should always be provoked for it. And uh, so, yeah, it's this week it's Sean Spice Girl, and next week it's, uh, or who is it, the Kuntish Gavin McGinnis, etc., you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, definitely fun to then... Uh turn it around on these people and make fun of them. I'm not yeah. trying to make fun of them. They're just they're a bunch of big pansies. Yeah.
This was amazing. That's it? Yeah. No, we got something else. Yeah. Oh, you got something <laughs> Why, is it supposed to be a certain length? No, no, we can keep going if you want. Yeah. The right. only thing is that we have... Um, we have someone coming in. We have too. someone coming in a little bit, so... Who? But Sarah Greenberger Rafferty? Cancelled. Oh, <laughs> why? I don't know. I just wanted to say cancelled. <laughs> I mean, I, I would like you to talk more yeah, about no, the book, I'm... but you, you don't seem that interested in that. <laughs> well, you know, it's stuff written a long time ago, and actually it's been out for a while. So, yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm always interested in... The next thing. Yeah, even the things that are in front of you. Wait, but talk about the, so the record shot at Marta's, like... Uh, which I'm curious about. Well, what do you want to know? Well, it's it's open soon, right? I mean, it's like it's open. Yeah, it's which is a new project, newer. It's yeah, it's for a year, and uh, Jose asked me. It was supposed to be his office, and then he decided it wouldn't be his office, so he had this empty room, and he said, "Why don't you do a bookstore for a year?" And I said, "Well, if there's books, there would be records, and then there's a big wall, and it faces this big floor-to-ceiling window, and you can see right in from the street." So let's put some art there, and then of course let's not have art by anyone in the gallery, so it can be its own thing, yeah. etc. So it's you know I like one year projects. It's always good to kind of see the whole arc of something even before it starts, and you know where it's going to end. It's going to come to a certain end point. Uh, Is it all from your collection? No, um, there are used, rare, out of print hard to find titles, books, and records, but then there's also some new things because it needs to be a mix. Though I think, I get the feeling most people are buy, are not buying the new books and records. I mean, mainly what was to be avoided was to have things out that can be seen and found elsewhere, like at the New Museum Bookstore, or Art Book at PS1, or that's not interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know what's really, annoying is how people talk, use the word curated, like, oh, this is a well-curated bookstore, oh, this is a well-curated cup, cupcake shop, whatever it would be. Uh, since I've started buying books and really looking around at what other people have and looking at which different distributors carry certain titles and bring things from Europe and all that, I don't have almost any respect for any buyers in any of these shops. They're all ordering from the same places. And it's and it's very easy to see that something looks good or is interesting. It's not so calling it curated. I would call the 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 aisle of white bread in the supermarket curated if that's your if that's like that's the the marker. Of, they're just ordering from what's available, and to anybody doing it. Yeah. You know, are people really searching things? Out? I don't know. Um, you know, if you want to search things out, you probably have to travel a lot. And I don't think these people leave their desks, you know. Some places, like Mast, for example, there are book buys. They go places. They go out of state. They go out of the city. You know, in a sense, a lot of things come to New York, but if you want to go out and try to find and pick things, it's the worst place in the world. Everything's overpriced, too. But, you know, a well-curated bookstore, I don't know. There's no such thing. It's interesting to find all this like old, musty stuff that and things. Pe I find things on the street in cardboard boxes that pe you have to walk around a bit. You know, I was hoping I'd find some stoop sales around here since it's a Saturday. There's great books around. I mean, people are always selling really amazing books. Like Where? Um, literally no, on the block, street. Or, yeah, yeah, all these blocks. Like, 
Okay, well, we'll go by. I put some cash in my pocket just in case. I did pass on Fifth Avenue at church sale, but, you know, no, I don't know. All these racks of old clothes gives me the willies. <laughs> i got to get some clothes for the shop now. No. 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 Wait, Ryan, you're doing something in the shop. October 1st yeah. to October 31st. Yeah. And there may be some sort of trick-or-treat last day thing. <laughs> Mostly trick. I know. Um, yeah, I'll show some artwork there and then lots of books, I guess, also. I'm going to all the unique books that I've made at the show. Still have to figure out the rest of everything for it, but yeah, I think it's it's a good setting. I'm like into showing in that space. I like having the other objects and everything in there, mixing it in. It feels more like how the artwork would actually end up living like in your apartment or something. So it's nice seeing the stuff beside a bookshelf and records and putting stuff on the shelves and kind of integrating it that way is I think always an interesting way to see your work artwork. is so satisfying in book form it's so nice to like, to have them all together and be able to kind of yeah engage with it that way does the space have a name may 68 may 68 do you know what that refers to the uh the french revolt right? yes not everyone does yeah. and uh i, I like that i know that 68 i know that all the do you, it's coming up as the fifth, next year, History 50, 50th anniversary. <laughs> it's hard to believe it's 50 years later. It's pretty crazy. It's especially hard to believe for people who are only 25. But they don't even know. No, but why should they? Right, yeah. I, you know. So do you man the store? Are you there on those days? Or? It's open same hours as the gallery, Tuesday to Saturday, 10 to 6, and I'm by appointment. Ah. Like I'm, I'm going to meet somebody there at three who's coming by. It's good to go by when you're there because there's so much shit that you don't know about that then having Bob go through it all and say, oh, and the price this is, is cool. even better. Prices are good, then you can, you know, try and cut a deal or something. But since there's so much shit that you, or record-wise anyways, that I haven't heard of, it's good to... Yeah, I mean, some people said, oh, why don't you have a it? record player here and people can listen to them? But imagine what would happen after two weeks. All these brand new records would have been taken out of their, and and scratched up and fingerprints. And, you know, I, my theory is like buying records, you go to the shop, you buy the record, you take it home and you listen to it at home. And you'll probably like it. You don't want your money back. You don't want to return it. Yeah. Or or do what people do today, which is just take out their phone, take a photograph of the cover, go listen to it for free. Uh, that works. That Folkways record that I got. Uh, is that good? Indian one. I was like, I don't know. This could be good or not. At first, I was like, I don't think I like this. And he was offered to return it, but it's... Uh, do you like it? I like it now. Actually, it's funny that it grew on me. So. Oh. It is good. It's like, if I you listen... You still bring it back. No, if I listen to it in the store, I probably wouldn't have got it. But right, then where right. I listen to a few times, I'm like, actually, this is pretty good. So, it is better just to take it home and enjoy it.